Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast. Today, we're going remote. It's a really cool episode where I, your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, have a chance to meet with an amazing executive-based superstar attorney for business. But we're going to learn more about life and about business and how those two things come together from my guest, the principal of the law offices of Jotham S. Stein PC. I have Jotham S. Stein himself with me. And by the way, Mr. Stein has written a book that I'm super excited about. It's called Negotiate Like a CEO. And if any of you have been in negotiations, you know there's always two sides and we have to find compromise and go in the middle for both sides to win. So we're gonna talk about all that today. But first, Mr. Jotham Stein, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on your show, Jim. Happy to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, you are certainly a great guest indeed for us to have because you bring so much real world experience in a time where so many people in our country have had change of all kinds. Our world's been turned upside down with COVID over the last couple of years. And so many more people are thinking about starting a business. Have you seen that as you've been progressing in your law practice where more and more people want to start a business? Or is it the opposite where business owners said, man, I got crushed by COVID. I want to go back in the corporate world. What's your perspective on that? Well, I uh, spent a lot of my years in Silicon Valley in California. I just lived just over the hill. And while it's true, I have offices, uh, you know, in, in Chicago and New York. Uh, here in Silicon Valley, uh, people are always trying to start businesses. And, uh, and that's sort of the, the ethic, the, the, the business side of it. Now, having said that, there are people that have been in a number of startups that say, forget it, I just want to go back to a company and, and earn a good living. And so... Um, but the bias here is to start a business. And so that's sort of what I've seen in the most recent time period because of COVID, we have had lots of people calling and, and asking about how they start a business, but I can't honestly say that that's, that's different um, because of the experience that I had in the last 20 odd years um, being in practice. Well, you know, it is amazing whenever any of us hits 20 years in practice, I know as, a, as my chiropractic training, I just hit my 30th year anniversary last last year and I can't even believe like where does the time go it goes so fast but when you have that much water under the bridge as you have in this industry I want to take a step back and figure out how you got here what like what was your interest growing up were you always knowing that you were going to be a lawyer were you into business uh give us a little backstory about how you end up as this really this iconic business attorney well, when I was growing up, actually, I was interested in public policy. And uh, and as I went through it as an undergraduate, uh, I decided, well, law school will keep you, keep me, you know, give me the most options to do whatever I want to do. And uh, getting out of law school, I, I had loans. So I, I went to the big law firm and uh, in Palo Alto, which is now a national, international law firm. And after a couple of years, I left there and hung out my own shingle. Um, uh, because I, uh, I wanted to do other things. And I just fell into uh, what I'm doing now, which is representing a lot of entrepreneurs and executives uh, and everybody in the employment cycle from beginning new employees all the way up to C-suite levels and, and, and CEOs. And it, would just, it, just, it just was by happenstance. Um, when I left the big firm after a couple of years, uh, lawyers knew that, uh, uh, that I knew what I was doing and they would send me their individual clients because they wanted to represent the companies uh, and they didn't want to represent the individuals. They just wanted somebody good doing that. And over years now, 25 years later, you're talking about you hit your 30th year. I'm in my 25th to the 30th year. I have so much knowledge, which is about the employment 
relationship about business, about startups, about what to look out for, about how to protect yourself as an as an employee when you go into a into a job or into a new company. And I figured I, I want to help people with all the things I know, so that's why I wrote the book, Negotiate uh, Like a CEO. Well, we are definitely going to get into that book, and I, and I'm interested. When I know having started some practices and gone through that process, there's so many things that people aren't aware of. What did you learn when you left the big firm, you jumped into your own ship? Did you learn a lot about what you do now from that experience? And as you've opened different companies and different branches, was that experiential learning really in depth for you so that now that guides you to allow people like me, if I wanted to open a company, to be able to do that more smoothly and effectively? There's some of that, but it's more the other way uh, by giving so much advice to individuals or starting companies, seeing the good things that can happen and the bad things that can happen. Uh, and, and so that actually helped me as in my in, in my business, if you will, because a, a law firm is nothing other than uh, a, another form of a business. It's a business that you run. So um, I, it, it worked both ways for me. And so now what actually let me go back to this what caused you to write a book so the book is a newer book and you've been in practice a long time why this book and why now well I, I realized one of the interesting things about employment is is it's so much part of our lives uh, your career your employment making money for you for your family and so many people don't understand the dynamics that happen the good things they don't and the bad things they don't understand why there's an offer letter why a company wants an offer letter. They don't understand how they can have protection. And in different kinds of employment, depending on what you're in, or different kinds of businesses, small businesses, large businesses, publicly traded companies, there are things to work, watch out for. There's tea leaves to watch out for. And so many people don't, didn't, don't know that. And so I thought, okay, well, I have all this experience after 25 years, I've seen lots of things. I can't say I've seen everything because every, every week I learn something, you always say, that's, I haven't seen that before, but I've seen so many things before that that I thought, okay, I'd like to help people. Um, and it's a fascinating experience. If they read my book, Negotiate Like a CEO, they're gonna learn so much about the employment relationship, so much to watch out for. That they'll also learn you know, the bad things that happen. And I've written 59 fictional stories in it. Uh, and and I, I suspect that when people finish reading it, they're gonna either think, hey, that happened to me along the way, or hey, I know somebody who that happened to. And, and that was the point of writing the book. Why now? Um, like, because I had the time to write it, uh, I, I made the time. And uh, previously I've written another book um, for lawyers to teach lawyers how to, represent, um, how to represent entrepreneurs, executives, employees. And that's published by LexisNexis, which is the big behemoth in the uh, world of, um, of like how-to books for lawyers. Uh, and, uh, you know, it has like 800 footnotes, a thousand footnotes. Lawyers would love to read it uh, for sure. And it will teach them how to represent uh, entrepreneurs, executives. But I decided, OK, I want to write a book uh, for the actual entrepreneur, for the executive, for the newbie employee, for the mid-level manager to really help them. Uh, and there is zero footnotes in this book. And I, I wrote it uh, for an easy and breezy read. To, that's which is why I inserted the 59 fictional stories for people like me. Underline what I'm writing about. Yes, yeah, that's for people like me and I love it and I thank you and appreciate you for that effort. When you're looking at doing something like this, do you look at, are you, are you drawing on your experience along with your creativity 
to make these stories and make these points home? Or is it something that you had to go research a lot where you go, oh, you know, for me to do this, and I'll give you an example. Like in the fitness world, if you're always used to working out a certain way, doing a certain thing, and then also you're gonna teach a topic on the general category, you gotta go outside of what you normally do to bring in more context and more flavor. Did you find any of that as you were preparing for the book that it led you to go research and grab more data? Or was this purely like, man, this is just a, a, an expression of all the things that I see and I've worked on throughout this time? Uh, it's the second, it's my experience. What I did was I wanted to make interesting characters. And so I, I, I have that in my head, that's the creativity. And then I have in my head, uh, repeat experiences. If there were books, there would be genres. If there were movies, there would be different kinds of movies, like a suspense movie, an action movie, a romance movie, a comedy. Well, the same type of events happen over and over again that I see. And so uh, what I did was I took those events, they're all fictional, and I made up names of characters and, 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 and uh, uh, things that I've seen over the years. So I mixed them together. So for example, there's a, a story um, in the in the book about a um, very accomplished character happens to be a female who uh, experienced was doing very well at a company and then there's a CEO change and that's there's no chance that given her qualities that given her experience and given her her, her dynamic her, the way she holds herself out as a great employee that she's going to be able to be a yes person to this new CEO. All right, if I see that fact pattern, which I've seen many times before, I would tell, uh, you know, in, in real life, uh, which happens many times, I say to the executive or to the employee, you know, maybe you should consider getting another job to protect your downside, right? You're not going to succeed here if you, you, you're, you're a collaborative type employee, a collaborative type manager, and your boss is, is a yet, wants yes, you know, and, and wants to, uh, uh, you know, micromanage. So that story that, that's in here is an example. I mixed in with uh, the biathlon. So I made the character a biathlete who's a, who's a great shot, right? And is an honest, has an honest shot, meaning she's honest in business. She has a good shot. She doesn't ski so well. And biathlon is, the, is a combination of uh, cross-country skiing and shooting. Um, it's actually an Olympic sport that very few people know about, but I always find it incredibly fascinating and you might as a doctor, because those athletes are going full bore, they are, their heart rates are running, racing, and they wind up then having to either go prone or stand up and, and, and shoot at a target that's very small. And so they have, they have training in this, psychological training. They, they lower their heart rate as they're standing there. I think that's like an amazing, um, amazing sort of feat. So I, I mix that in. There are stories that are mixed in you know, with, with baseball, for example, or soccer. Um, but this, the underlying event is a, is a repeat pattern that I see um, that happens in business. So there's another one called the Dynamo and the CFO. That's somebody who got hired in, in, a, in a similar situation, but there were two people that were competing for a position, and one of them is going to go uh, because it, depending on the personality of the of the successor, right? Some people uh, don't want anybody below them in a, uh, that, that threatens them. Or, and some and some people think that's great. They want to ever have very accomplished people below in, in an organization. So I, 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 and even I gave the names that were fun. I wrote the stories that you're asking about in the Pete's Coffee. And so um, oh, nice. like some, another one is called Maybe I'll Clean House. Well, that has a really important 
um, it's a, a lesson that I'm, I'm, I'm writing good characters, trying to make it very interesting, but the lesson is, is something I've written in the, in the nonfiction part. You know, Recipe for Disputes, another name. I just got fired is another name. And then one of my favorite is, your offer letter sucks. <laughs> tell us about that. <laughs> so, so I can't tell you how many times at every level from the newbie employee who does have leverage, and sometimes they don't. You can't negotiate if you don't have leverage. But there are a lot of new employees just out of, out of, out of college that, that have the power to negotiate, and they don't realize that. Maybe not a lot, but one sentence of protection. For example, if they're getting equity, they might be able to negotiate or stock options as equity. Equity just means securities or ownership of a company. Imagine a one sentence statement that says, if you terminate my, my employment at any time, you will accelerate my vesting in my equity by one year, period. And you put that in a one page letter. That's what I mean by protection. The, the senior um, you know, management team guys, the C-suite guys they, and women, I don't, I'm gonna say guys, I mean everybody, um, they, they, they negotiate for a lot more, uh, but um, I can't tell you how many times I get calls from people who just don't know. Um, and the offer letter, I look at it and I'm like, this sucks. You have no, it says a lot of stuff and you have no protection. You can be fired at will at any time and you're gonna lose A, B and C in this, in this, in this letter. I get that from CEOs, but I also get it from um, you know, new, new employees. And um, so this is a story where someone calls, in this case, a very senior uh, C-suite executive. And, and um, the story is about the character as a C-suite executive. And the, uh, the, the person giving the advice is also a fictional lawyer, but um, is telling that character all the bad things in this, what appears to be a good employment agreement, a good offer letter. And so, uh, and that there's a, you know, an interchange between them. Um, and so uh, that, that, that's the breezy interchange. When you're reading it, you're, you're hopefully picking up all this information, but um, you're having a good time with the characters who are bantering between each other. Uh, and uh, I, in that case, I mixed in, um, um, you know, uh, kind of interaction. Maybe, maybe it would be more New Yorkish or East Coastish type of interaction. And then I mixed in a, a World Cup soccer game to, to put everything together, in a, you know, in a three page or four page um, um, vignette, the story, like there's 59 of them. So uh, for anybody who doesn't want to read about the specifics, um, you read the stories, I think you'll have a great time. Oh man, that's so cool. I love that mix of the fictional character, kind of Robin Sharma style. I don't know if you're familiar with his writing, but Robin Sharma does that kind of thing. And then interlaces these messages and these principles of living. And that just sounds, amazing so i can't wait and by the way i want my my copy autographed because you know i'm i'm getting the i'm getting the official version from the guy here but when we're looking through this um you mentioned we go from c-suite down to newbies is there something that you walk a, a line on in a balance as an attorney when you're working for a company and working for employees i know that even in our businesses that we run out here and the teams we work with we wanna be great business people and obviously do what's right so that if there's money there that everybody can get bonuses and these kinds of things, but we also wanna create a great culture. So we, we're, we've walked this line as employers and leadership. How, do, how does that work for you working with the company owners, the companies, entrepreneurs and founders like yourself, and then for not taking advantage of people and protecting them, that it's an interesting thing that I'd like your perspective on. So 
because we're on both sides of the aisle and also because we litigate as well so we know when things go bad in these agreements um we're actually we can actually give super zealous ad advocacy for either side and uh in in my proclivity is when i'm giving advice to businesses you know uh, for example the ceo in his position as running a company in other words the company i'm advising uh, i try to I, I believe in a more collaborative approach i believe in, that you should treat your employees well um now they may not believe that I, it depends but i i can only give advice um and and so that that um um, that's what that's what we that's what we try to work with and try to explain to them and and uh, but um, and so that helps from the other side. Now, um, uh, uh, what's interesting sometimes is a legal matter. We sit down and say you got to do this. So I use as a separation agreement as an example. Doesn't matter how much a CEO doesn't like somebody he's firing or she's firing, and that can, in my opinion, um, and that can be. Uh, you know, on their C-suite level, that's what I mean. They, they, uh, and they should treat that person well. And if they don't want to treat them well, I tell them the best thing you can do, particularly if there's conflict there, is go get the person you just fired a job across the street. Because if they have a job across the street, they're not likely to come fire, uh, sue you or complain anymore. And they're likely to be, it's likely to be easier separation. And plus, you don't think this person is good, might as well give them to your competitor or somebody else across the street. So we'll do that as that's a but that's being driven as a business legal matter uh, as opposed to just straight business, which is how you should treat your employees and which which you know the employees are the most important part of a business. Um, even if your business produces you know software or hardware chips or computers, I mean it's the people that are that are there that that help make that business. I agree a thousand percent. And again, we're living with that. Um, and one thing that we've talked about in our, in our company that I, I'm really interested on your perspective on, so we have this pretty robust benefits package. And among those are things like uh, short-term disability, long-term disability, things like that. And we've talked amongst ourselves to say, you know, do team members appreciate that? Because it costs the company money. And at the end of the day, if there's more money going out, that the, it's not there for a bonus pool because it's going out for things that they may or may not understand or that they may or may not appreciate as a benefit, does it make sense for a company to then go, well, maybe we shouldn't offer it. Not that we wanna be stingy with it, but rather if no one's using it and no one's appreciating it as a benefit, they're not seeing it, then nobody wins in that situation. Is that something that you've seen is, is companies try to offer benefit packages that they should be sensitive to what the team values based on where they're at in their lives and the business that they provide? Well, that's a really interesting question because companies come in all different shapes and sizes and have all different kinds of resources. So the more mature company is gonna provide what you described that generally speaking, that very robust um, package. And they do that you know, in part to take care of all their employees, but because they recognize in a, in a, a I guess, beneficent way or that, that people may not realize that they need that uh, long-term or short-term um, disability plan as an example until they actually get disabled. And we know statistically that a large number of people will be disabled during their career. And that, that's why it's so expensive from the, from the, from the employer's point of view, but they provide that, that, that package uh, in a, as a, because they're a large company and they, they know what's going to happen and they want to take care of their employees, if you will. And so they do it even though you know, four out of five employees may not care about that package. Um, on the on the flip side, this sort of startup world, 
Um, many of those packages, uh, at least and, and not so robust, are not offered. They, everybody gets healthcare because that's valued. Um, you know, or not everybody. I don't. Whenever I say everybody, I mean the great lion's share. I, I'm sure there are startups that don't offer healthcare, but um, you know, you offer healthcare, and that's appreciated. Uh, and and, um, and and but they're also getting in that world. There, the companies are typically cash poor in terms of if you compare them to large companies. So they offer equity instead to make up. And so what they're getting in response is if that equity turns out to be worth it, everybody's really happy. And if the equity is underwater, then they have other kinds of management issues. Um, but that's the way they, the smaller companies, the startup companies tend to, to try to take care of their employees just because they don't have the resources. You know, I've seen that having been in different phases of all of that through my career, whether it was owning practices or working for a, a large chiropractic franchise and now in the, in the Ramos Law, FitMD world and the other things that I'm involved in, that it really does depend on where that business is in its life cycle or its maturity level, I think, as you mentioned it. What are the things, because there, we have a, a wide variety audience here and some people they may have thought about owning a business, but they don't know how to do it. They've been in the corporate world or they've been working for, quote unquote, the man for a long time, and they just want to start some simple company, some dream that they have. What are some of the things that you would have them do that would motivate them to get this done and or make them say, maybe you should think about it. Are you really an entrepreneur? Because there's, uh, what did Stephen Covey say? There's an entrepreneurial itch that people may want to scratch where <clears throat> they're having an entrepreneurial seizure, but they're not equipped to do that as a, as a living. Do you have any thoughts for the person who's really wants to go chase that dream and not sure if it's for them? You raise a really good point. Being an entrepreneur is for some people, they love it and they're repeat entrepreneurs and others can't, don't like it at all, particularly the uncertainty. Uh, the fact that the lights might be turned out that they might not have a job. So my, my um, it, my um, um, recommendation is either do one of two things. One is look yourself in the eye, uh, yourself in the mirror, uh, and, and that's metaphorical. You can you can talk to important advisors of yourself to try to figure out whether you're an entrepreneur and can take the tension and take the risk and can take the uncertainty and whether that motivates you. And if the answer is no, then you probably don't want to become an entrepreneur. If the answer is yes then um, either do one of two things, go into a, 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 a job, I mean, create your company, um, and, but know that it might not work out and just, and that uh, you have to give it a number of years because every company doesn't make it in the first one month, two months, five months, right? There's, and, and many, 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 many have to go under because of cash flow issues, right? Um, but, but know all of those factors and know you're taking a risk. That's one possibility. The other possibility, is uh, going into a startup. And there are many startups all over the country and they, they're startup in different things. So some are small business startups, some are family startups, and some are the classic uh, Silicon Valley uh, or New York or, or startups where the company wants to do an exit after five years and want, or wants to go public. And try that out for a year. Because I, I have clients and I know people who tried that out and they said, it's not for me. I don't have to wanna worry every nine months that we have to raise more money, as an example, to keep our business growing. That to me, I'm worried about that. It's not my personality. And then they go to a big company like an Amazon or a Google or, or Facebook or, 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 or what Continental Tire, whatever it is, and they, uh, and they have a job there and they're much happier. 
And frankly, if you rise up in a, in a, in a publicly traded company or a small but successful sort of mid-level company, if you rise up to the level of executive um, over your years, if your trajectory of your employment is there, and that's what you want to do, because that, that has a lot of tension itself. But if you rise up to that level, you're going to be paid significant amounts of money and significant amount of equity. So there are different ways to succeed. Um, the, the second, the, the additional thing I would say, if you're going into business, you're starting up a business and it's going to be with someone else, you're not bootstrapping it yourself. That's when you need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself, whether it's a family member uh, or family members or your, or your partners or your investors, or whether they're venture capitalists or private equity um, uh, directors or companies, um, because that, that's where you need to protect your baby, which is your company. Um, and you want it, what are you protecting it against? You're protecting it against the fact that you could be forced out, you could be cheated out, you could be removed down the road, and you'll watch your baby be very successful in somebody else's hands, and there'll be a tremendous economic downside. You'll lose money and you'll lose control as a result. That's the theme of the book. If you're going to go into those small businesses, if you're going to go into a startup, if you're going to be uh, anybody with leverage and any company that's going to become an employee should protect themselves. And what do I mean by protection? I mean negotiating like a CEO, which is CEOs go into companies, the overwhelming number of them, they negotiate their protection. What is their protection? It's their severance agreement on day one. We call that a professional prenuptial agreement. So the CEO is going into a company to run a company, but at the beginning, he or she is saying, I want to protect myself in case things go wrong and you, the board, want to fire me. And what is protection? Uh, it can be many different things, but it's often um, a, a separation payment negotiated on day one. A, for example, you terminate my employment at any time, you'll pay me six months of severance. Uh, what else could it be? Um, uh, protection of equity. That's very important, whether in many, many companies. So what do I mean by that? If you're granted a certain amount of stock or stock options investing, for example, someone might say, if you terminate my employment for any reason, you'll accelerate the vesting of my options or my restricted stock or my profits interest. You'll, you'll accelerate that by one year, two years, three years. That's protection of equity. So that if you get fired, you won't be, you won't have a zero when you get up, when you, when you put out on the street. Similarly, people negotiate for medical payment protection, COBRA premiums. Uh, and so they'll, they might negotiate as a protection, six months of COBRA premium payments if you're terminated. Uh, and all of this is usually terminated without cause. If you do something really bad, um, then you should get anything. And then the, the negotiation, the issue is, should cause be narrowly defined as every employee would want, or should it be incredibly broadly defined, uh, which is uh, what the company wants so they could call anything cause if they want to. It, you bring up such a great point when you talk about this going in with a strategy of protection, self-preservation to protect you from the potential downside. What do you see as the demarcation or level where new team members coming onto a team before they accept that offer letter should do that? Because obviously, you, you know, if you're going to work at a fast food restaurant to run the cash register, do you have that same opportunity to do that and maybe so in these days where i'm seeing here in denver you know their mcdonald's has a sign out there paying up to 17 dollars an hour to you know work there maybe that level person does maybe it's at management level um so for the listening audience you know i is there a point i guess my question is is there a point where 
if you go in with all those kind of demands that based on the value that the, that the employer thinks that you're going to bring, they're going to be like, look, you haven't shown me anything. You, I don't know you. You coming in asking for stuff makes you look arrogant and presumptuous as opposed to making you look like, oh, you're protecting yourself. You make me worry that you might not be everything that you think you are and you're only going to cost me more money. Is, is there, a, is there a, a place where that shifts over where people should ask versus where they shouldn't ask? You raise a really good point because there's always a tension when you're going into a company, uh, whether you're going in as the $17 an hour employee or you're going in as a CEO, the issue is you're coming to me. You want to be 100% going to, into that company. You want your manager to know you're 100% committed. And here you're going and asking for protection on the downside, right? And so perhaps signaling to that individual that they may read it that way, that you're not 100% committed or you've got a problem as an employee or whatnot. That's always the concern. But the fact is um, that many of those, uh, uh, if you have a red flag like that, that somebody's not going to hire you because you raised that issue, um, that you may not want to work at that company. However, you may want to work at that company because you need a job or because it's a stepping stone to, to another job. So there's always a tension that you have to consider. Uh, now, in terms of the, and it's a real one, and it's and it's one that gives pause to a lot of a lot of people. And sometimes, sometimes at a lower level of a company, um, you know, they don't give out any protection. And and exactly what you just said, the manager's thinking, why would I hire this person who's asking for years worth of vesting or some separation pay? Where's the CEO of that company and the EVP of that company and the CFO of that company and all the people at the top level and even sometimes the junior managers of that level have protection. And so there's a disconnect there. But um, now you ask me, and that's something real, and that's something I address in the book as well. And, uh, but in terms of looking at, you have to think of it this way, you have to look out for yourself. That is looking out for yourself and looking out for your family. Does that warrant um, you know, asking for something? And it's often context dependent. So let me just say, the, the, imagine, there's a, a company in Denver, they're offering $17, $18 an hour to get the first level uh, person in, uh, in a fast food restaurant. The context will be different. Uh, if somebody says, they, they, in other words, let's say, that, let's say they're incredibly short staffed and they need somebody, otherwise they're not gonna be able to man a shift. They're not gonna be able, I, I don't know if it's proper, the woman a shift, you know, I, I, again, I mean it as, I mean it, any gender or any, any choice, yes. it's the person is They're understaffed. <laughs> They're understaffed and they can't run that shift at night. And you come in and they, and they find you and, and they find you on, I don't know how they found you. They, they find you, um, you know, through LinkedIn or something or, 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 or um, some jobs board. And you say to them, listen, I don't want to go work at, uh, I don't want to, I'm not going to work the night shift there unless you can fire me at any time. I, I'm a great employee here. See that I've worked at five different other companies. And, you know, if, if, I, I'm not going to come there unless you, well, if you fire me, you should pay me a, a month of my salary or two months of my salary because, you know, I'm going to come in 100 percent to your company, but to, to, to do the night shift. But but I'm not going to do that unless you unless you help protect me. And so imagine that circumstance person, the, the owner of that fast food restaurant is going to think to themselves, well, what's the what's the cost of my doing business? The cost of my keeping that shift open is keeping this person happy. And if it doesn't work out, so I'll pay them an extra month or two. If it does work out, I'm going to have all this revenue coming in from that night. I use that as an example. Now, in a world where there's 100 people lined up for the same position, 
that same all night position, then there's going to be a lot less leverage and you won't be able to negotiate. And, and frankly, some companies never negotiate as a matter of policy until they get to the level of CEO. So it's all context dependent. Um, but going back to the person who wants to start out their new company, um, well, you're starting at your new company. Why wouldn't you not protect yourself and, 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 your, and your family and, and, your, and the control that you would have over your baby? And in this case, it's metaphorical, it's the company. Uh, but, but so many people invest so much time in their company and in their own companies that they create. And I've seen so many situations where they've been forced out um, for multiple different reasons. And that's why there's many of the stories in the book are about, uh, not many, but a significant number are about how, how you can be forced out in all these circumstances that you have no idea what's happening. That is so powerful. And, and you know, thank you for sharing that because it takes me to something that you talked about a few minutes ago on partnerships. And can you just speak to a moment to partnerships? Like I know for me, one of the things that I realized about myself is that I was great when I was not the guy running the ship, making all of the choices. And that was when I had, you know, when I had my own practice, it was just me and everyone was under me. And then we opened five clinics and I did that with a partner. Then I went into a franchise where we built it to 400 clinics and I was part of the executive team. And, and what I realized through all that was there are personalities, there are abilities, there are comfort levels for everything. So if someone wants to start a partnership, with their, like you mentioned, their family member or their friend or someone who's got a great idea. Number one, is it a good idea? Should you never do it? Because I feel like that's where I would be best is in partnership with someone because of the collaborative nature that, that I live with and all that kind of stuff. But where do you fall on partnerships and how, if you decide that you should do them, how do you protect both parties in that? You protect themselves. Everybody should protect themselves in the beginning so that, uh, that, so that down the road, they're free to operate as they need to. Uh, in terms of partnerships, um, they can be a wonderful experience and they can be an awful experience. So it's also context dependent. It's who you're going into, what the personalities are and so forth. So I don't speak one way or the other on that. There have been many successful partnerships. And frankly, um, there are people who are as honest as the day is long out there. So I, I, this, this, this focus on protecting yourself in the book, it's something that everybody should have. It's like buying insurance. Um, similarly, like buying the book is like insurance. You learn about all this stuff. But I want to say that there are people out there, many people out there, that the honest as a day is long. And when they sign a contract or shake hands on a contract, um, they will uh, they will do exactly what they say and what and that what they remember that happened, which is often changes down the road, is actually what happened. And 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 they don't don't need more than a handshake. Having said that, the stories and the facts and the experiences that I've had over the years are many when the wrongdoer is a family member. The wrongdoer, I mean, is the person who did the stabbing in the back and forced somebody out. The wrongdoer is the friend that started those in college. And so how do you protect, protect against that? Is at the very beginning, you have a protective partnership agreement or protective employment agreement. Um, so you're protecting your downsides and it's in writing. And, and it's hard to talk about in the beginning. You're all going into partnership and, and you all hope it's going to work well, and everybody hopes it's going to work well. And so now you're going to come in and say, well, I need protection. If it doesn't, you can't just fire me from the partnership. You can't just take my equity back from the partnership. So you need good personal advice. The partnership itself needs good legal advice. In my view is even if it's a family member or your, your, your college buddy, put it in writing. And that way, they'll, if there's a problem down the road, and we all hope there isn't, but oft, often there is, 
you know, over time, things change, people change. Um, uh, uh, you, you're protected so that you're not just out on the street and somebody else, your, 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 your former, you know, your, your family member or your, your former friend who is your college roommate or something is running the company that was once yours. And um, um, I even have one of the saddest stories that you see in partnerships or that you see um, in business is the person, it often happens when there's a lot of amount of money involved that the person who stood up at the wedding or the college roommate is the person that does the stabbing in the back of their of the person they stood up at the wedding for of the the bride or the groom and by the way it happens to both brides and grooms um and i've seen it happen multiple times in my career and there's actually a story in the book about that um where where they where where um um it's called powerless where the uh, longtime college friend and the person who did stand up at the wedding decides they have an epiphany someday and with the investors in the company they decide they're better to run the company and the, the rationalization in this story of these characters is the person who's doing the stabbing in the back uh that stood up at the wedding is rationalizing that they're going to grow the company faster and better and bigger and so the stabber the person they're stabbing they're they're the what the, the bride or the groom college roommate is going to be better off financially when they're kicked out of their own company because yeah. the rationalization is they're going to grow it faster so there's actually a story about that and the reason why i say that that happens repeat over the over the time family members do stab each other in the backs why that's the saddest situation is because the individual who suffered has not only lost money or severance or equity which is if you sell a company equity stock becomes money it gets cashed out but also the personal the sort of destruction, the personal uh, devastation that they picked, they, they've had this friend that they've chosen as a friend for all these years and that stood up at their wedding and that's the person that they mentally chose as a friend that, you know, turned out not to be as honest as the day is long. Uh, so. Jotham, yeah, that's that's a heart wrencher. And, and I hope people listening get to understand that because the, the takeaway of that portion is if you're going to start a business, spend time investing in who you're doing business with, understand what you're doing, go through the process of protecting yourself, get it in writing, get it official. And, you know, again, I think that's brilliant. And I want to now leverage that into, if you could give three pieces of advice, and I'll give you the, the scenarios here, here's three pieces of advice. Someone starting a company, we'll pretend now it's not a partnership because you went into that. So their business is brand new. What's the one piece of business advice? Then someone whose business, they've gotten to the, what John Maxwell would call the law of the lid. They've gotten as growth as high as they can go without expansion. They're not gonna get any more margins. They're not gonna get any more business volume. They can't cut expenses. The only way to grow from here is expansion. And then the third one is when it's time to exit. Now, I don't know that, I've never been part of an exit that would be uh, you know, considered going IPO or anything, but if you could just give one real solid gold piece for starting, for expansion, and for exit. I think everyone would appreciate it. Go in to the relationship and the uh, whatever you're doing with your eyes wide open, do your due diligence. And in each of those circumstances, you wanna, in my view, protect yourself. So certainly in the second one, which is uh, you're only gonna expand with investment. At that point, you're taking in other, 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 other funds from other individuals who have might have other interests than yours so you need to have a protective investment agreement vis-a-vis -vis who's ever is investing to help you expand 
in the first circumstance, which is somebody who's just starting out a company, if you're bootstrapping it only and you look yourself in the mirror and you say, it's only going to be my funds forever, then you probably don't need to do anything. But if you're starting out a new company with others or with investment, seed capital, even for friends and family, in my view, you put yourself in place a protective um, equity agreement or a protective employment agreement up front because you can always negotiate it away later if somebody's going to invest or other people are going to join your company. So even in an early stage, uh, I believe that you should protect yourself with what I'm calling a professional prenuptial agreement. You've thought about it and you're protecting yourself who against the company that you own, but the company who you may not own or control down the road. And um, other lawyers, I'll, I'll be straightforward about it, would, would take the position now nah, you don't do that or so early because you'll be wasting time and money. You worry about it when you get your first investment, which is sort of the second stage of the company. In terms of going public, uh, it, it depends on what situation you are and what context you're in. Do you already have a protective agreement? Um, you may not be able to do anything. Uh, but if you're going public, you want to have those agreements in place uh, either before you go public or hopefully before that, so that uh, once you go public, uh, you will probably you may lose control. It depends on on how the IPO happens. Uh, but certainly an exit that is not going public, what you didn't raise, which is when you're selling your company in an M&A transaction, M&A stands for mergers and acquisitions. Uh, in that circumstance, if you are an employee or you a significant employee that has leverage and, and frankly many employees in the m a transaction don't have leverage they're just going to move from one company to another but the c-suite executives the ceo um important people at the company like it might be an engineer for example they need that person or it, it might be a, a a professional relations person they might need that person then you want to negotiate a protective agreement um, in an m a transaction that kind of exit if you're going to stay around because um, the acquirer, after it acquires the target, may go on a on a on a on a, on a uh, what do they call it? Economic rationalization uh, approach, and they'll start terminating lots of employees for what's called, um, I mean, uh, 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 for economic reasons, right? And they have two people in the same job. If you're the second person in that job, you want to have protection. So if they come and fire you, and they don't give you a good separation agreement when they fire you, you already have one in advance. So, for example. I wouldn't say in every, but in the overwhelming number of, uh, uh, not overwhelming, but in a majority, let's say, of M&A transactions, the CFO, the chief financial officer, has a very limited life expectancy at the target. Why? Because the acquirer has a CFO, it doesn't need another CFO, typically. And so the CFO, if he or she is smart, negotiates an agreement for the M&A transaction that, um, uh, you know, if you... I'll be around for six months. I'll be around for a year. And if you terminate my employment, you'll you'll pay me X and you'll vest me Y and you'll give me a certain amount of COBRA uh, medical payments and so forth. So a lot of it's context dependent in each of those three examples. But I, I've just given you broad sort of generality of what you'd want to do. Right. And what if a person has built up their um, lawn mowing business and that now they have 150 lawns? And they're now, you know, they're a college kid. They built this up, and now they want to sell it because now they're they got their degree. Uh, summers are over. They're going to their thing. How do you evaluate a business, and what kind of things would that kind of small business sale entail that you would want to share with, you know, that kind of entrepreneur? That person um, who's selling that 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 lawn mowing business would want to make sure they get paid every last dollar that they sold the business for. So if they're getting cash, the valuation of the business 
um, is something that they would know or evaluator would know or acquire. But let's say they agreed on a number. So if that number is in cash, then they want to have a simple contract that, that makes sure that they get paid everything they're entitled to get paid in cash. If it's, I'm going to pay you over time, uh, right? That's another way of a, a loan mowing business might be purchased. I'm going to pay you a certain amount up front. And after the first year, I'll pay. And the second year, I'll pay. You want to have a contract that makes sure you get paid. And the person who's doing the acquiring that's going to buy your lawnmower business um, 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 is not going to make off with it or stop paying. Or if they run the thing into the ground because they have no idea how to run a lawnmower business, or they put weeds in every one of the 150 uh, lawns that are that are the that is that is the source of the business, they're still going to pay anyway. So in that case, you would want something like a personal guarantee, um, which is similar to what small businesses. One of the things you have to watch out for when you have a small business is is, is signing a lease. Because many, uh, many, especially when the 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 lessor, the person who owns the building, has the leverage, they always want a personal guarantee. So if your business goes under, you personally have to pay anyway. And um, so I'm just flipping that around and saying here, um, the person selling their lawnmower business to go on to bigger and better things, hopefully, or other things, not necessarily bigger and better, but other things, would want to make sure they got paid. And if they had the leverage. And the and the who's ever buying it really want really wants it that much. They would try to get a personal guarantee in case the person buying it, you know, puts weed weed weeds all over, kills all the lawns, or whatever they could do that isn't as that that it, that, it, that isn't good for the business. Yes, great stuff, great stuff. Now I want to kind of turn the thing back to the book, our conversation. So if we were kind of summing up who the book is for, other than what we've talked about now, we've talked about company owners, C-suite executives. We've talked about people coming in for new interviews and, and protection there. Um, who else is there? Is there anyone that this book shouldn't be for when considering the the relationship between the employee and employer? It's really for everyone uh, and um, and can benefit everyone, even if somebody doesn't want to be CEO ever. Um, it, it, it lays out everything in the employment relationship and 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 anybody who has an interest in moving up in their career, whatever that means, starting a small business, starting a mid-sized business, rising up at a company, um, that's who the book is for. And there, there's information um, in this book and stories in this book that have nothing to do with C-suite offices, for example. And I use as an example of is a story about a performance improvement plan. So uh, uh, only mid-level and, and junior employees get performance improvement plans, which are often the kiss of death. In, in a company that's a company protecting themselves, not really trying to help out the employee. At the senior level, you don't get a performance improvement plan. You get um, either fired or uh, at, at a very senior level, you get put on special projects, which is typically uh, means that you have another year or two at the company. And after the special project is done, uh, you're, you're, you're asked to leave or you're forced out. Um, my point in this is that even if you don't want to be a CEO, there's so much uh, information that we all don't know about in employment even that even that um 17 and a half hour or 17 dollar an hour um fast food individual we talked about who 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 might have more leverage in the example that i gave than than you would think but also may dream about having other uh, jobs somewhere else um and down the road so um so everybody needs to buy this book Right. I would say everybody who buys this book would be would be would would it'd be an eye-opening experience 
in the employment world that they're in, their job, all the things to look out for, things to dream about, things to protect yourself against, and the upsides that can happen as well. And it's just something we all spend so much time at, and we all um, have no idea um, about various aspects of, of, the, of business and employment relationships and people and how things interact, the good things that can happen, the bad things that can happen. Well, I'll tell you, I'm excited to read it. How can people that are listening to this or that are watching it, how can they get a hold of the book or get a hold of you to learn more? So if you want to buy the book, you can go to Amazon and type in uh, negotiate like a CEO and it will come up. Or you can Google negotiate like a CEO. And I think the first thing that comes up is probably a link to Amazon and other booksellers. If you want to learn more about the book um, before buying it, you can go to the website for the book, which is negotiate like a CEO.net. So that's negotiate like a CEO.net. And there, there will be a description of the book. There'll be a couple of these um, stories that I discussed, uh, talked about with hopefully interesting characters that might, uh, you know, cause somebody to say, hey, that's really interesting. Uh, I'm going to buy the book. There'll be a link to a contact page so you can link to, uh, to uh, send me information um, to contact me uh, there as well as, as well as some other things on the website. So that's the way to buy the book or to go to the website, negotiate like a CEO.net. Beautiful. I have one more question for you and I can't wait to hear the answer. With all you've done and the many things you've accomplished and all the businesses you've helped, all the relationships you've literally saved because of these types of, of interactions, contracts, agreements, is there one piece of advice that you either were given or that you've picked up along the way that you would say is paramount to who you are as a person and as a professional that you'd like to share with the audience? I would what i've done my whole career i love people and i like people so and uh, I, I and i enjoy hearing uh, from from everybody what their story is and what their job is and what their proclivities are and what they like to do and so um, it's one of the reasons why i like what i do um, is i'm always uh, always talking with new pe people that are have new that are new at what they do and uh, or are really experienced at what they do it's very interesting to talk to them so um you know, these entrepreneurs, executives, individuals there, they work in, people work in, you know, tons of different kinds of jobs, tons of different kinds of experiences. They're in different areas of the country. And I find that really interesting. Nice. Well, Mr. Jotham Stein, thank you for taking so much time out of your really, really busy schedule to, to join me and our audience and share these messages because there's a lot to, to gain here. Now, if you've listened to this and you are either thinking about getting into business or you know someone, one of your friends or family thinking about getting into business, this is must listen, must watch information. Please share it, send it around, get these words out, go get the book. I'm gonna go get the book even so that I can be a better leader for my team so that I can share some of these concepts with our leadership and that we build a better company by protecting each other, by working together and collaborating. So um, I just can't thank you enough, Jotham. Thank you for joining me today, man. Continued success and, and blessings. And you always have a friend here at Ramos Law. Thank you very much, Jim. Been great to be on your show. Absolutely. Have a great day.